Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello and welcome to this edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. I'm Medical Director Dr. Rob Dixon and today we're going to talk all things posterior stroke. We're very lucky today to have with us one of our esteemed uh, neurosurgeons regionally here, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah is an assistant professor of neurosurgery at the Baylor College of Medicine here in Houston uh, and is the chief of stroke and neurovascular at St. Luke's Hospital in the Woodlands. So welcome Dr. Johnson. Thanks Thank for you Dr. Dixon. In. Pleasure to be here. And we, as always, we have Andy Adams on the boards doing all things technical and going to kind of chime in on this one because this is one of his specialties. Andy's our stroke and trauma specialist here at MCHD. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. All right, guys, let's start with the basics. Dr. Johnson, can you just talk us through a posterior stroke? Tell us how these things differ from uh, what we normally think of uh, in EMS is, a the, the strokes we usually see are an anterior circulation, the most common types of, and, and how do we take care of these things? Absolutely. So the thing, the thing to start off with is understanding the, what is a posterior circulation versus an anterior circulation. So the anterior circulation, as most people may know, is the carotid arteries come up from the heart, go to the front part of the brain and about 80% of the brain territory is given blood flow from the carotid arteries. Uh, that's usually the front and the top part of the brain and the back part of the brain. Um, there's the posterior circulation. So that's supplied by two vertebral arteries that come off your subclavian arteries. They go up actually through little channels in the vertebra themselves. Um, They connect to form a basilar artery just right in front of the brain stem, which is a very important cable of fibers from your brain cables, I like to think of it, uh, from your brain that send the signals down to your face and your body. Uh, And that artery goes straight up and then branches at the very back and goes to the occipital area where your vision is interpreted. So those back arteries give about 20% of the blood flow to the brain, but it's a very important part of the brain, your balance center, your brain stem, and your vision centers. So uh, when we talk about posterior circulation strokes, the symptoms are a little bit different than the classical anterior circulation stroke. We're all pretty familiar with MCA strokes, for example, where one half of your body can't move, your eyes are force gaze deviated, you either have jumbled speech or no speech at all. Um, you can have some of those symptoms of posterior circulation strokes, but they're a little different. So so one of the um, important things to keep in mind is, um, is when you see a posterior circulation stroke, our scales that we often use in the field sometimes don't pick up some of these signs and symptoms as well. So the back part of the brain um, is your balance, but also the brainstem, what we call very high-priced real estate. So uh, some of the things that are a little bit different about posterior circulation strokes, we may go over in a little bit more detail, but have to do with you not having balance, dizzy, nausea, vomiting, double vision, not just blurry vision, but your, your eyes may be all disconjugated and moving different directions. And so these are just some of the introduction to thinking about post-circulation strokes. They're just different. Yeah, we kind of touched on this when we did a previous cast on kind of an introduction to dizziness with Dr. Al Meyer from Melbourne. And, and we touched on how difficult these things are to diagnose in the field for EMS. Why? Because we think of strokes is just when we think of a stroke as a medic we kind of think of the classic anterior which is about 80 percent of strokes whereas these are a smaller subset aren't they or about 20 percent of all all strokes 
They're about 20% and, and they're a varying severity and they're a little harder to pick up, uh, like I said, because some of our stroke scale scores aren't quite uh, designed for posterior strokes because they're trying to catch the majority. So I think we do need to have a, a, in the back of our minds some of the signs and some of the posterior strokes so don't we, we don't miss some of these really important ones. Yeah, they kind of, you know, they changed, they morphed the FAST exam, didn't they, for that? Yeah. And uh, yeah. to the BFAST, which they added balance and eyes. Or Correct. Is, does the patient have a sudden onset or difficulty with their balance? And are they having any double vision or problems with their vision along with the face, arm, speech components of the FAST exam? Yeah. So and, I thought that was a... a and I know they've started working on the test with the Cincinnati as well, where they do the finger to nose testing and some of the balance as well. Yeah. All right. So Andy, let's pivot to you. And can you talk about some of the things you look about when you assess a patient for a, a stroke syndrome? What do you look for? What, what helps you pick up uh, either in the history or on the clinical examination? What, what, what helps you pick up these posterior strokes? So for me, when I walk in, uh, any complaints of, uh, especially sudden onset, that's the biggest thing is that they are fine for one second. And then all of a sudden, you know, they start complaining of like dizziness, just random dizziness, um, any kind of double vision, um, you know, this is go into the, the five D's, the diplopia, any on sudden onset of, you know, slurring the words, can't get the right words out. Difficulty swallowing is one that we don't you know, that it's kind of hard to diagnose unless, you know, for instance, they're eating or drinking, which actually happens commonly. You know, grandma's eating dinner and all of a sudden she can't swallow or she starts choking or something like that. And um, and then, you know, dysmetria, which is the, you know, the limitaxi, the, the sudden onset of lack of coordination, acting drunk, can't walk, can't sit up straight. Yeah, and that's kind of, so we always think of this as the five D's of the posterior circulation. I'll just go over them and recap them that Andy talked about. Uh, dizzy or vertigo, which is a sense of motion when it really doesn't exist. So it's a, a feeling that the patient has. And usually, if you if we just listen to them, they're pretty good at describing it. Diplopia or double vision, dysarthria or difficulty with the speech, dysphagia or a difficulty or an odd feeling when they swallow, and dysmetria or limitaxi. And Dr. Johnson, can you talk about kind of the 6D, we can't say on the uh, on the cast, but how these patients present and, and some of the things that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right on. The, the Ds are perfect. Um, what I would say is that there's often a component of dizziness or imbalance. Um, and then that plus one of the other Ds. So if you're imbalanced, dizzy, and you can't swallow, or you're having trouble with your speech, or you, you're having dizziness and you're trying to sit the person up, someone that's just having regular vertigo can sit up. But someone that uh, has a posterior circulation stroke may not be able to sit up on their own. They kind of collapse back over. They can't. They can't balance. So I think I think those are those are really important points. Um, so there's often a combination of things, not all or one or the other. Um, the other one that we, we want to be really careful about is really severe posterior circulation lack of blood flow. So this can happen several different ways, like embolus from the heart goes up and blocks an artery, or you have a narrowing that suddenly closes off, and you have a very true severe lack of blood flow to the whole back part of the brain can give you even more signs that are beyond this, including these things we talked about, the Ds, plus something like altered mental status. So you just look, they just look like they're thrashing around, like maybe mimics a drug overdose or something like that. Um, so you don't, you always want to keep this in the back of your mind, particularly when the history goes along with it, like sudden onset, not right. Nothing know, else yeah. acts like that. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. I think that's a big, big, you cannot say that enough, Dr. Johnson, yeah. that it, you are perfectly fine. Then you are not fine. That is a vascular event until proven otherwise and in the, EMS. The even most severe version of this is when you block off the whole basal artery, let's say with the clot from the heart, it's an instant and 
and you essentially can be, just become comatose. Right? The upper, the back part of your brainstem that drives breathing, you're still breathing, but that's about it. And you're just completely out. So I've seen that a handful of times too in really severe basilar artery occlusions. Which we, we actually see a lot of in EMS. A sudden, you know, especially nursing homes, they'll come in and find, you know, their patient laying in there, not awake and, you know, still breathing fine, but they just, uh, you know, they can't wake them up. Yeah. And so can we talk a little bit about reperfusion? In the previous cast, guys, we've gone over kind of the hard lines in the sand. The, in endovascular, that hard line is is kind of a squiggly line that is now up to 24 hours for endovascular reperfusion, uh, mechanical thrombectomy. Uh, and for TPA, that hard line in the sand is still at four and a half hours from last known well. So Dr. Johnson, can you talk about specifically the treatment of posterior circulation, this type of stroke, with TPA versus endovascular, which uh, you you do both at, at St. Luke's. Yeah, absolutely. So the posterior circulation strokes are candidates for both TPA and endovascular in a similar manner to the anterior circulation strokes. The trick is, is that picking up the signs and symptoms and being confident that it is a stroke symptom and not something like vertigo. So there's often a hesitation when there's question, is this a stroke or is this something else to give TPA, for example, because there's complications from TPA. But if you're confident that it's a stroke symptom, then people do give TPA for these. And, and although they're rare, so we don't have as good of outcomes or as good as studies, uh, people do give TPA uh, for posterior circulation strokes. When it comes to endovascular therapy, it's a similar process. So if someone comes in with these severe signs and symptoms, they're going to go for a CT and a CTA. If they show an occlusion, uh, very typically, if they're in the typical time window of six hours, they're going to go immediately for an endovascular intervention to try and reopen that artery. Um, if they're later than that, then they often get other imaging, either a CT perfusion, which don't work quite as well back here just because there's so much bone around the brain, um, or classically an MRI, a quick MRI to see if the brain is impermanently injured in that area. And if not, then they go to endovascular therapy as well. So they are very much candidates, but the trick is what we we're talking about is like identifying them and being confident that that's what's going on to then put them to the next steps to get therapy. Yeah. And from an EMS perspective, I mean, I cannot... Uh emphasize enough how important it is to make that diagnosis in the field and pre-alert these things. Um, so that kind of brings us to, I'm going to go back to Andy and, and, you know, not all of the uh, 28 cards or stroke uh, suspected neurologic problems that we go to are strokes. Can you talk a little bit about the stroke mimics and the most common ones? Just go over a couple of common ones that you see out there in the field. So, you know, Oh, of course, always want to keep that high index of suspicion up. But, you know, things like seizures, commonly after a seizure, somebody can, you know, exhibit, you know, unilateral weakness or something like that. Uh, low blood sugar is, of course, the biggest one and the easiest to rule out, frankly. I mean, I can't think of any service that doesn't have a glucometer. Thank you very <laughs> so. much, Andy. Every patient, every time, yeah, blood before, sugar. Before yeah. the stroke alert, you know, yeah, please, yes, please yes, check indeed. a blood sugar. It's a little embarrassing. If Big you get party to the foul there. Yeah, you get to the hospital and their blood sugar is 30, and the whole stroke team is there staring at you. Um, <laughs> hypoperfusion, of course, is another one because, you know, low blood pressure, low volume the brain's not getting perfused. So, you know, that can be another mimic. Um, and then complex migraines. I actually have a friend who has had a recent new, um, new change in his migraine, like, uh, symptoms. And it was his, the left side of his face stopped working. Yeah. And, and these so. are, these are, those are really super hard. Like that's the, one of the hardest cases for me as an emergency physician in ED. 
And uh, just a caveat for the listeners, I would never as a medical director expect you to sort out a complex migraine in the field. Someone with a bad headache and stroke symptoms is a stroke alert until proven otherwise. I mean, complex migraine, I always say, is not an ED diagnosis. That is a discharge diagnosis after you've been in hospital for three days getting your weakness worked up. With your neurologist swarming (laughs) you. Thank you. Thank you very much, doctor. Um, So... Let's go back to Dr. Johnson. Andy brought up some some common stroke mimics, so seizures and toxins and hypoperfusion states and, and endocrine or, or glucose problems. Can you talk about, like, how do you, when you assess the patient, you know, they've already been seen by a couple of providers, how do you quickly sort out some of these mimics? What do you focus on? Yeah, so I think the, the thing that I am very focused on is, is the um, – is the, there's a few of them, but, and they're not easy to sort out for anyone, uh, and including the neurologists that see patients. And people get TPA that don't have strokes sometimes because they're that, the mimics are that good. <laughs> so, but you do want to really carefully focus on things that we call cortical signs, like real signs that, that, um, that something is important is going on. So like unilateral weakness, can that be a complex migraine? Yes, but not super common. Again, the temporal portion of it was it sudden or was it you've had a migraine brewing for a couple hours and then you became weak um and and other things like eye gaze deviation for a middle cerebral artery stroke or, or these types of things uh, you have to most of the things that are in lambs are pretty specific but um or in, in the stroke scales that you guys have um and we just go a little bit more detail about these things that can help us sort out exactly what's going on but but they can be really hard to they can be really hard, hard to untangle sometimes even even for very experienced clinicians okay so we talked a lot about the mimics let's kind of pivot and talk about chameleons so something that we think is actually a toxin uh, some other disease process that actually turns out to be a posterior circulation stroke what are the pitfalls there how many of these things are out there how often do we get it wrong Uh, and just go over a little bit about that and the outcome of these patients if we do miss them in the field and call them a say an intoxication when in fact they're a posterior stroke yeah i mean it's a it's a like i said these things are often hard to untangle but it's very important like andy said is to and you said is to make sure that in your head these things couldn't be a stroke and that needs to be worked worked out before it's assumed to be something else if some of the symptoms could be both uh, one of the chameleons or one, or a real stroke so unfortunately this causes delays in getting things like tpa and endovascular therapy one thing we see often in posterior circulation strokes is they stutter so it's a narrowing of an artery and so it kind of like you can have a couple of days where you have a sudden a little symptom it gets better a little symptom it gets better and then boom it happens uh so that's one nuance to posterior circulation strokes but the 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 things like um like glucose levels and these things are, are easier the complex migraines is a different is a different animal it's a harder yeah. to sort out but it is very important to not dismiss things as drug overdoses and just leave them in the corner of the er without doing a stroke workup on someone because it could be a posterior circulation stroke and the reason they're altered is because of lack of blood flow to the brain um, so this can happen up to 20% of the time. Um, what happens, unfortunately, is that eventually those drug stock screens come back, for example, and then they're normal, and then the real stroke workup starts. And so that can account for the patient not getting TPA, having permanent injury to the brainstem while you're doing all this, uh, waiting on the drug screen to come back. So in my, in my view, that uh, you need to do a full, complete neurological exam. Um, that's a big one. 
uh, as well, rather than just assuming it's a drug overdose, for example. Uh, you need to make sure you do the imaging workup appropriately when the patient gets to the hospital um, and not just assume that it's one thing that you presume it is because it looks kind of like that to you if it could also be a stroke. So really have a high index of suspicion for stroke and that's the first thing you should make sure is not going on while you're working on the other things like lab values and that type of thing. Right. I think that's, that's a great point, you know, and it boils down to a very simple point. If we don't think about this diagnosis and keep it in our differential, especially for an altered mental status patient, right. we are not going to make the diagnosis. So in a stroke uh, paper from or a paper published in stroke in 2016, I'll just go over about uh, a quarter of these things were chameleons, about a, a quarter of these posterior strokes presented as a chameleon, i.e. we thought it was something else when in fact it was a posterior stroke. And almost half of them presented at a point where we could have reperfused them and had a good outcome. So these are potentially very treatable patients that we're, we're, we're missing out there. And why are we missing them? Lots of them, as Dr. Johnson alluded to, do not get a complete uh, history and neurologic examination. Uh, and they're hard to get, right? We are three times as likely in this particular paper um, to miss these things is, is a regular stroke. So this is a difficult, difficult diagnosis and kind of one of the reasons that we're talking about this. A, a less common cause of stroke, but a very, very disabling uh, stroke. Can you just talk about kind of outcomes of patients before we wrap it up, Dr. Johnson, and how you see like some of the outcomes you've seen with your endovascular therapy at St. Luke's? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the one thing about the posterior circulation strokes is that even if they could be smaller than anterior circulation strokes, you can have a very significant deficit. It goes back to what we're talking about is these posterior, these posterior circulation problems are, you have a little blockage and you have a large amount of important real estate. These cables that come from the top of the brain that spend all that time generating, hey, move your leg or hey, speak. Um, you just have one of them cut and you can have a very serious problem, like one half of your body. So these little blockages are very important. Um, so I think that, uh, but they're hard to come up with the diagnosis. So I think, again, the, the clinical suspicion with dizziness and or one of these other things, the D's is very important. Um, when people do get diagnosed and get TPA, they can get better. It just, there's a variety of different types of strokes, which even makes this more complicated. And there's a variety of different interconnections of the blood vessels in that area, which makes it more complicated, but they can be TPA candidates and get better. Um, specifically for posterior circulation, large vessel occlusions, the really severe ones. Um, so generally speaking, people that have posterior circulation strokes do a little bit worse than people that have anterior circulation strokes just because of the real estate issue. It's a very important area of the brain. So even a little injury, if you do TPA and they get better, still that little injury can be very important. Um, so overall, they do a little bit worse, but they can still can have very good outcomes. So for example, endovascular therapy, you can have a large vessel occlusion and suddenly be in a coma, and then you can rush in, open the vessel, and people can have very good outcomes. I'll give you one example. So I was actually in training. There was someone in her 20s, I want to say 24, who just passed out going to get the mail in her front yard. Her family walked you know, out to see where she was, and she was like laying on the sidewalk completely asleep. Um, she was taken to the hospital. Um, you know, This is one of those ones that just passes out because the whole blood flow to this important part of the brain is gone. So you can't move, you can't talk. Um, so she came in and thankfully it was correctly suspected that she could have had a stroke because of the whole passing out in the, in the front yard type story. Um, got a CTA and this was within two hours and it showed a occlusion of the basal arteries, so one of the posterior circulation arteries. We took her to the uh, cath lab. 
uh, didn't bother putting her to sleep, just tried to get this vessel open, successfully opened it. And, uh, and when we opened it, pulled it out, we saw the blood flow, we did the angiogram, we saw the blood flow to that back part of the brain. And uh, what do you think happened? I'm guessing she woke up. She said, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that is a great, awesome great story. case. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a great example of the power of this therapy. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to hark back to some of our other casts we've done with Dr. Johnson, some of the other uh, specialists uh, here in our area, but this is an incredibly powerful, probably the most powerful intervention, medical intervention in my career. I mean, a number need to treat of we can argue it out, but about two and a half to three patients to have a really, really good outcome in a really, really bad disease is extraordinary. Right. A devastating extraordinary. disease. So it, it is known that if you have a posterior circulation stroke, you have worse outcomes, more disability, yeah. more permanent problems. Uh, but the saves can be unbelievable, yeah. like this this young girl. And, and so it's really worth keeping that in our minds to rush these people through the stroke protocol. And if they don't have a stroke, fine. But we need to make sure before we, we just, you know, put them into a corner and, and, and think there's something else going on. Right. That's a great place to wrap it up. So let's let's kind of go over the, the high points of what we've talked about today for the listeners. Um, posterior strokes, not the usual strokes we're thinking about. Think about those five D's of the posterior circulation, dizziness or vertigo, diplopia or double vision, dysarthria, difficulty with speech, dysphagia, or a, a feeling or difficulty swallowing, and dysmetria or limb ataxia. And, and as Dr. Johnson said, altered mental status. Think about your differential uh, for these folks, right? It includes stroke, seizures, toxins, endocrine, or we always check a glucose, hypoperfusion states, and these complex migraines that we talked about. Um, know that the chameleons are out there, you know, beware and alter mental status. I think that is the number one misdiagnosis. You know, when we, it actually is a posterior stroke and we have a chameleon, the number one out there is we think it's some type of toxin. Uh, focus on those positive signs uh, for stroke. As Dr. Johnson was saying, you know, eye movement, abnormal, bizarre eye movements and gaze deviations that you're looking at yeah, are really, not, really a hard thing to fake, yeah, aren't they? Nothing, I mean, can, yeah. nothing can. Nothing looks like that. Look like that. <laughs> These eyes are just moving in crazy directions on their own. That's a posterior circulation stroke. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thanks very much, Dr. Johnson, for coming in and My sharing pleasure. your expertise with us today. And Andy, uh, for doing all things tech and guru and adding <laughs> in his expertise on stroke. Yeah, no uh, so, uh, listeners. Make sure that you check out our newest offering, uh, the MCHD Paramedic Podcast 360. Uh, to remind everybody, that's our video series, and it's a short uh, three to five minute videos that, that augment uh, some of the topics we talk about on the podcast. And Dr. Johnson and I were talking before, we're probably going to get him back, and uh, he's a pretty good looking guy, so we'll get him on the, uh, on the Podcast 360 to uh, talk about some posterior strokes or, or some endovascular uh, stuff for us. So thanks, guys, for coming in. All right. Appreciate it, Dr. Dixon. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.